Hey there, this is Larry, and I'm here with Armin. You're about to listen to a great episode. But before you do, we want to let you know that we're now podcasting over at the Bold Idea Podcast. That's right, and we're not adding any new episodes to Reinventure Me, but we think you're really going to like what we're doing on the Bold Idea Podcast. We're interviewing some great guests and packing ideas and inspiration to help you put your faith to work to bring your idea to life. So when you're done with this episode, go check it out at boldideapodcast.com. Episode number three of the Reinventure Me podcast. What's the worst job you've ever had? Are you over it yet? It doesn't take a bad job, you know, to leave lingering effects. And we're going to talk about that today. The job cleanse, five strategies for detoxifying from your former employer. Find your next great beginning. This is the Reinventure Me podcast with your hosts, Larry Gates and Armin Asadi. Well, welcome to our third episode, everyone, of the Reinventure Me podcast, the show where we talk about what's next in life. And sometimes you can't wait to get to what's next in life because you <laughs> get, you've had a really bad part That's of right. the prior life, right? That's right. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about bad jobs and, and, and maybe not so bad jobs, but jobs that have left you feeling worse after you've done them than when you started. And, uh, so Armin, what, what was a, what's the worst job you've ever had? Oh man, I'd have to say when I was 15, when I took my first real W2 type job, which was working at Taco Bell. You made a run for the border. That's right. That's right. And I could tell multiple stories, but I'll avoid those stories. It was just fast food. You know, nobody, I don't think anybody really likes working at fast food. <laughs> uh-huh. When you're 15, not many places will hire you. Yeah. That was it. It was, it was an upgrade from shoveling. So there you yeah, there go. There you go. Or babysitting. Yeah. <laughs> and I was not good at that. I needed a babysitter. What about you? Well, I, I had my own, uh, I had my own fast food story. I used to work at a pizza hut in Dillon, Colorado. And uh, I was probably 17 and the manager of the restaurant was 19, you know, so, oh, wow. and he was the oldest employee. So a 19 year old was the oldest. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Wow, yeah. What an yeah. old guy. Well, I learned a lot from him. Really? Yeah. We, uh, we learned how to close the store early. <laughs> what? <laughs> well, you know, they were supposed to be open till midnight, I think on a Friday night and, um, <laughs> somewhere around 10 30, 11 o'clock, he was like wanting to go cause he had his party plans and, of course. and the and the job was getting in the way, right. you know, and he's the manager. <laughs> yeah, so you gotta get out of there. Well, and you can't, you know, you can't like close early unless like nobody's there and then he could kind of figure out how to do that. But you, you obviously can't shoo people out of the restaurant. So he had, so what to, did he do? well, he had a pretty clever way of doing it. He'd uh, get into the cash register and pull out a bunch of quarters. And, uh, you know, uh, you remember jukeboxes, they had jukeboxes back in the pizza huts back <laughs> still then. still have them. Oh, okay. <laughs> I didn't know if you were old enough to remember jukeboxes. <laughs> they still exist. <laughs> I guess I haven't gotten out much. <laughs> and anyway, he pulled the jukebox away from the wall and in the back, there's a little knob that you could turn the volume up, right? Uh-huh. So he would crank the volume all the way up on the jukebox, push it against the wall and then stick in as many quarters as he could load up and play the same song over and over and over again. Oh no, what song? Now, up against the wall, you redneck mother. 
What is that? Well, now you ha- you know you didn't know take this job and shove it last time, no, so didn't. you're going to have to Google up against the wall, your redneck mother. But you know, as soon as you listen to this one time, maybe we'll include the link in the show notes. But but you can you can only listen to this just maybe one time. But when you hear it ten or fifteen times, you should see the look on the people's faces. They were hurrying to finish their meal and get out the door. Needless to say, that was um, that was kind of a fun, memorable memorable time, but not one that uh, you know you want to get stuck at in a pizza hut in dillon colorado for the rest of your life but that's kind of genius i'm not gonna lie i like i like that move (laughs) (laughs) well we've we've had quite a few uh of our listeners also uh chime in we asked them about uh, what were some of their worst jobs what what did you find well here's here's some of the ones that we i think this is my top four that i liked out of what people said on facebook so one job was cleaning the sewage tank on a ship oh yeah you can have that one oh Here's another one. Janitor in the hospital, and then he continued out to say, when patients soil their bed, that has to go somewhere. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That was his job. Yummy. I honor him. <laughs> you are more we need people like I. We need people like him. <laughs> I will in, in not too many years. <laughs> I hope not. Here's another one. This one kind of I didn't get, but once I read his comments, it made sense. Delivering appliances. Mm-hmm. And then the other one was uh, working at a funeral home. Yeah, I mean, mm. working with corpses all day, that could be fun. Mm. But so I, I actually did a little bit of research and I looked up a bunch of top 10 lists and top 20 lists. Or the bottom bottom 10, bottom 20. Is that kind well, of what Yeah, I guess they would be bottom, 10, <laughs> bottom 20. So here's some good ones on that I found online. So uh, one was stable cleaner. Um, so if there was ever a job that warranted the title professional pooper scooper, <laughs> there you go. That's a stable job, right? <laughs> I see what you did there. I see what you did. That was good. All right. Here's another one. Whale feces researcher. Mm. Nice. Now, uh, how do you get whale feces? I just wonder what, what do you have to do to go just get that? Follow it around with a bucket. Behind it. I, don't know. I think that's what they uh, do at the terrible. Circus. Yeah. Okay, here's another one. This this one actually sounded like a glamorous job when I first read it. Forensic entomologist. Have you ever heard of that? Uh, no. Okay, so here's what these guys do. They solve murders by studying the maggots inside of corpses. Mm. Seriously. That's a real job. That's a job? That's a real job. <laughs> it's amazing the jobs people have. That's awful. <laughs> they get paid well, though, so that's all right. Uh, I, I remember reading in the... LA Times one time of one of the it was a number of years ago and I guess one of the fast growing businesses in LA was a company that cleans up murder scenes. What? That's a real job? Well, yeah, I guess real companies make real money, you know, going in and cleaning up these places where these murders have happened. And I just imagine, what would it be like? I mean, I could, (laughs) no, I couldn't do that. I just couldn't even imagine it. So like, I always wondered what happened with, with murder scenes. Like I I know it's the cops aren't going to clean it. So I was like, who who does? Well, somebody does. And I hope they get paid well for it because it doesn't, does does seem like one of those (laughs) dirty jobs. Right. All right. Well, here's a couple more. Um, Elephant vasectomist. Nice. Mm. Could you imagine trying to give a vasectomy to an elephant? Nope, you can have that one too. (laughs) It's a brave human being right there. And the last one I'll just drop is a hadmet diver. And these guys basically, they swim in sewage. Enough said. (laughs) Yes. Thank you. Let's move right along. Good gosh. I couldn't imagine doing any of these. Anyways, after all these terrible jobs, I think we may need a little bit of inspiration. Oh, I think so too. (laughs) 
Well, you know, you might have had a bad job and you might uh, be in a job that is uh, rather toxic to you right now. But uh, one of the quotes from Mike Mason, he wrote a book called Practicing the Presence of People. And I think he absolutely nailed it with this quote that, I, that for me has been personally inspiring at times when uh, things are challenging and it might be a job or some other situation. But he says this, the goal of Christian spirituality is not to feel good, but to fight well. Oh, wow. Say that one more time. The goal of Christian spirituality is not to feel good, but to fight well. Oh, that's going in my phone. Yeah, Yeah, I've used that many, many times uh, in my own life. Just remember, you know, this doesn't feel good, but that's not the goal, Hmm. you know, and uh, and especially if you're in a job that's toxic, right? Boy, that can be a good thing to remember. How do we fight well? Hmm. How do we fight well when we're in a situation that may be outside of our control and maybe something that's uh, you know a bit challenging for us to even just make it through the day, right? I would imagine that that would be true for me in any one of the jobs that you described. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> Especially if you're swimming around in sewage. No, don't, don't even, you don't even, any of those jobs you described, I think I would have a challenge with. I love that. I'm going to put that up on Facebook so people think I'm smart. So there you go. Taking it from you. Yeah, we'll give, we'll give Mike Mason credit for it because it was his brilliance. <laughs> All right, fine. <laughs> All right, that's great inspiration, Larry. But before we get into kind of the main topic, we're going to go over those five strategies. I actually wanted to ask you a question. Sure, what's that? All right. How do you know if your job is toxic? Oh, good question. You know, and sometimes you can't know. Huh. Sometimes uh, it's like the frog in the kettle and uh, the environment can leave an impression on you over time that is kind of toxic and you don't recognize it until you get away from it. Right. But there are times when you can immediately know and, um, and that is when you know that you it is depleting you in a way or transforming you in a way that isn't healthy. Hmm. I had a business partnership with uh, two other people one time, and we got into some rather heated conversations about where to go with the business. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> yeah. I'm a little familiar with those. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, this got a little bit uh, out of control for me. And, uh-huh. I, and I ended up losing control in one of the conversations. I actually swore at one of my business partners. What? You swore? Yeah, I swore. That and, would be um, the day. Well, it was the day, and <laughs> I was uh, I was not very I was not very proud about it. Uh-huh. And I went home and I realized that's not right. Huh. Uh, that is, it, it's this situation has caused me to respond in a way that's out of character for me, in a way that is something that I I'm not proud about. Yeah, and I realized that. In my own business, a business partnership with two other people, yeah. it was still a toxic environment, and uh, I needed to deal with that and needed to address it. So there are things you can tell if, it, in terms of how is like any toxicity that you have, it's leaving you more debilitated than empowered. Hmm. And so if you're feeling like your job, it's not, it's not just fatiguing because it's hard work. That's okay. That's part of fighting well. Right. But if it leaves you less uh and and it's it's taxing you in a way that's causing you to exhibit behaviors uh that aren't that aren't healthy Hmm. um and that was clearly a sign for me but sometimes it's very insidious and you can't quite tell even a healthy job can leave you uh less creative for instance right uh when i left cray research it was uh it took me about six months of just being on my own Hmm. to realize that I st- I'm starting to think more creatively than I did when I was in the company. Right. 
And I, it occurred to me that what was part of what was going on there was that when I'm in the company and you're working for other people, you you have a way of constraining your thinking because you know what's going to get approved. So right. that you you have this certain uh boundaries of your creative thinking because there's no point in in trying to pursue something that you know no one else is going to get behind and support. And so those constraints limit your thinking. And what's funny is that you take that with you. I mean, it's not like something you sw- you take a turn a switch off. And so oftentimes the best thing you can do when you after you've left one company is to give yourself some time to breathe again, to mm. get some of your creativity back because a company will create and impose upon your thinking uh, some constraints, and those constraints are going to be natural, even in healthy companies, hmm. because there's only certain realms of possibility. So it sounds like it's it's one part feeling, and it's one part almost how it affects your mentality, if it's taking away your creativity, or if it's taking away the way that you process things. Well, I think the way to think about it, I don't know about the parts at all, or the degrees of parts, or, you know, <laughs> pieces and parts, and we were talking about bad jobs, because I don't want to even yeah. go down that path, but... It it could just be very simply as any kind of toxicity. Does it diminish you? You okay. know, and and I believe that when we're in jobs that are inspiring to us, they may be fatiguing to us, but we become stronger, we become better, we become more capable. Hmm. And those are jobs that are not detoxifying, but empowering. And they're and in fact, we bring something to it to do that. But when they're when they constantly tax us in such a way that they leave us less than we were before, then hmm. I think that would be considered a toxic situation. So it's kind of like stretching versus squeezing. Yeah, that'd be a good way to think about it. Squeezing where it's bone crushing kind right. of squeezing, yeah. Oh, I like that. Yeah. That's good. Well, I'm probably the guy who always likes a little bit of action, trying to figure out how to um, get some strategies behind my belt and get it um, moving forward. So I know you had some five strategies that we wanted to talk about today for detoxing from a former employer. You want to get started with those? Yeah, sure. Well, I think there are five things. If if you've if you've left a job, and even if one that's that you might have left a long time ago, but it still has some lingering effects on you, still uh, uh, maybe view it with a little bit of animosity. You know, when when you when you think about the former employer, maybe there's a little bit of resentment. There's a little bit of edge or bite when you think about that part of your life. Well, that's a pretty good clue that you need to detoxify. And and the first strategy I would suggest is that you immediately stop asking the question why. Why. <laughs> yeah, I knew you were going to do that. <laughs> Sorry, that was a horrible joke. <laughs> Keep going. <laughs> well, I'll tell you, because why questions, you know, oftentimes when we get into bad situations, we want to know why is this happening? What's God trying to teach me through it? Hmm. Um, and, and we just keep posing the why questions, and it's, a, it's something that we do almost naturally. And, and I call these potholes. You know, when you ask the why question, it is you have landed into a pothole, and it's something that's in the road. You're going you're gonna to hit it. But it has no useful value. Hmm. It's something you have to ride over. It has no uh, no value to explore it because there's only two paths that you go down if you keep pulling on the why thread. You know, you you might uh, pull the thread of well, well, why didn't they uh, better manage the company? You know, instead of laying me off, or why didn't they do something else? Well, in that case, the only outcome there is resentment. Hmm. You know, it, you right. pull on that thread long enough and you're just going to feed resentment for yourself and then they become the enemy. And, you know, the resentment is kind of like that swallowing the poison and expecting the other person to get sick. Right. You know, it just does yourself harm. 
And then the other thread that you can pull on the why question is not toward them, it's toward myself. So why didn't I do something differently? Why? And, and then you've, you're, you're pulling on the thread of regret. Hmm. And, and that just leads to you know, despair right. and inability then to act. And it's like, it's good to learn from it. We're going to talk about this in our next episode, but it's good to learn from these things. But when you either pull on the resentment why, which is why didn't they do something, or you pull on the regret why, which is why didn't I do something, the only thing you do is you're dumping more toxins back into your system. Hmm. So it sounds like what you're saying is there's certain questions that help you detox, and then there's there's certain types of why questions that actually cause more toxins to get into you. Yeah, the why questions are trying to get at understanding or explanation, and sometimes they're trying to reverse the past, Hmm. and uh, you, you, you can't. You can only so learn from it. You can only learn from the past. Right. You can't. You can't reverse it. And so, uh, asking immediately, catch yourself when you catch yourself with a why question. Just immediately remember that that's the only outcome of that is either resentment or regret. That's not a good choice in either path. And I'm just going to stop asking the why. Part of that is just accepting the sovereignty of God, hmm. and uh, and then uh, and, and acting on that. What do you mean by that? Well, for instance, when you you might be laid off or fired, or something bad has happened, mismanagement of the company, whatever the situation might be. And, you know, can you, can you accept that maybe God had you there for a variety of reasons, uh. some of which you may never know? But if we hold resentment or we hold regret to it, then somehow we're erasing the sovereignty of God and the, mm. and the, the degree to which he has an imprint on our life. Mm. And and when you when you act on it and you act on the faith that he's done something there, then you can you know even even respond back to an employer who you may feel has wronged you, mm. and maybe you send them a card and just say, hey, you know I know uh, it was a turbulent uh, relationship that we had together, but I want you to know I appreciated uh, you know whatever you can say that you may have appreciated. <laughs> Something honest uh, but, and positive. But you can say something honest and something positive and just right. say, I, I, I'm glad for the experience, if nothing else. And, uh, and you may not feel all that, but it is a statement of faith and trust in God's sovereignty. And so the first question you can really, uh, first strategy really is to stop asking that why question and trust God's sovereignty and act on that in a, in a tangible way. Love that. All right, well, what's the second well, strategy? Well, the second thing that we can do is, and in, in this is often the hardest, is to practice telling yourself the truth. Because, because the reality of being in a toxic environment is that you learned a lot of mistruths. You learned half-truths and mistruths, and, and you know, you're not as bad as you might think you are from being in that environment. Mm-hmm. They're not as bad as you think they are right. in that environment, and you're not as good as you think you are. You know? So the somewhere in between all that <laughs> is the truth. You yeah. know? And this is particularly true when you get in a job that's politically charged or where there's a lot of highly dysfunctional people, where, where maybe there's uh, combating teams that uh, compete against each other, and, uh, or the reward systems are not with respect to individual behavior and, and corporate objectives, but just a competitive environment to beat out someone else. And there's a lot of crazy things that goes on, and it's part of what keeps the Dilbert cartoons uh, <laughs> rolling on the presses. But you know, in those in that time, what what you learn about yourself and the feedback that you get from others mm. is only partially true. Right. And uh, you know, you can only turn to the Bible. You can only turn to your your friends and your family and the people that know you well. And to give you the source of truth on that. You know? right. And I like what I read from Ken Geyer. He said, success is when those who know you the best 
respect you the most. Hmm. And so t- sometimes we measure our success so much by what other people that don't really even know us all that well. Title status. Or, or, or say about us, you know. Right. And those who know us the best, respect us the most, that's how we should measure our success. Oh, I love that. I love that. And I, I like the fact that you point out that sometimes we're the ones lying to ourselves and not the other people. Yeah. Oh, and that's the thing that, that's what you carry with you. That's the thing that's, you know, that the work environment's going to change. Companies are going to go. I mean, how many people that worked at Enron are still carrying the effects of Enron and the company's not there anymore. Right. But Enron lives on in their mind, you mm-hmm. know, and pick whatever company you've had that's been a bad experience for you. Hmm. And the people have changed. The company may have changed. It may not even be there anymore, hmm. but the effects of it are like you replay it every day, every day, every day. And it takes time to get through that. Right. All right. Well, what about the third point? Well, third thing is, is, is probably one of the, one of the ways you can really get through it in a, in a helpful way. And that is to engage in community. And, and, and you've got to take this practicing, telling your truth into community. You can't just do it on your own. I mentioned uh, working with family and friends there, but intentionally meeting with others who Mm -hmm. can help you by asking forward thinking questions. You know, so often we want to detoxify and we want to relive the past. And what happens is we end up stirring up questions that are the why questions, Mm. you know, and you get friends that are meaningful or or well-meaning and they want to help you process stuff and maybe get get you through it. And especially true if you're getting together with all the former coworkers there, because then what ends up happening is (laughs) let's share, this was the toxin I had. Do you want a drink of that? You know? And so basically what you're doing is you're drinking each other's toxins and you're just keeping each other uh, fully goosed up on, uh, on bad stuff. All things that you hate. So really thinking about, think contentionally about engaging with community that can ask you some forward thinking questions about your life, get you out of the past, moving forward, that can challenge some of your assumptions, that can offer you some helpful resources, get you thinking creatively about your next step. Um, and so, you know, don't, well, as tempting as it is, you know, don't hang out with those, uh, those old coworkers if the purpose of it is to uh, uh, drudge up the old stuff. Now, sometimes it's helpful to hang out with people who certainly know about some of the people back there because you know they can give you a, it's like a triangulation. They can give you a little bit of perspective on that. Mm-hmm. You know, one of our listeners, Curtis, uh, uh, chimed in on this on Facebook, and and I, I want to read you what he he wrote because I think it's really quite right. right. He says the critical crucial bit, or one of them, I believe, is to be ta- talking to someone outside of your own family, mm-hmm. and we so easily go to our own wives, those of us who have been have have a good woman alongside of us and they take what they can, but they feel powerless Hmm. and being able to have a conversation, venting strategy, confession, anger outside the home with a trusted friend is imperative. Even better if it is someone who knows the situation more closely. And I think he's, I think he's spot on. Sometimes we burden our spouses, overburden our spouses with our toxicity and, uh, and, and they do, they do feel helpless about it. And so it's, it's good to have an intentional way of engaging community uh, to help you uh, get through that. Right. I even, I, I really like what you're saying because I, as I've gotten older, I've gotten more intentional about who are the people that I go and talk to mm. about leaving something toxic, even mm-hmm. if it's not a uh, work thing, if it's just simple relationship or something like that. I've gotten very strategic maybe and intentional in who I go to talk to because some people just kind of 
fuel the fire of anger yeah you know and they well they like a good fight yeah you know so they, like, they want you to pile on and, and just you know yeah. kind of bring it up and they fuel the drama exactly you know and then they bring other people into it and it's just like ah i don't i don't that's not what i want from you i want yeah i want you to tell me where i'm wrong <laughs> you exactly. know help me process through this and that's get right. out of it not stay in it so i really like hearing that yeah and those are rare people to find and when you have them hold on to them because they're they're invaluable absolutely well the fourth thing we can do uh quickly is is to rediscover our purpose you know it it it's one thing to be in a toxic situation and feel diminished and depleted and and what you end up coming away with is that you just feel worse about yourself Mm -hmm. or you feel worse about the job that you're in and in any case you're worse off after the job than you were before right and uh, and and oftentimes you feel like there's no point in this and and it you lose your sense of purpose. Hmm. Uh, one of the more difficult things to do, because now you're talking about taking time that isn't in frenetic action oriented. <laughs> well, you know, that's what you were looking for, right? This is taking time to pray. It's taking time to experiment. It's taking time to think. It's taking time to uh, be in a processing mode on your own, not in, a, not in a brooding or festering way, but an intentional planning, looking at what are some of the options that I can apply myself to, thinking about ideas, engaging with your community, knowing that you are in this period of time where your ability to discern your next move may be diminished precisely because of your toxicity. Hmm. So you need to just give yourself some time, some space to allow that to happen. And sometimes that just involves getting a different job. Some of us need to move from one job to the next because we need the income. Right. And sometimes it's fine just to find a healthy job where you can have a working sabbatical. You know, where you can just take a year and just find a, an environment that isn't going to tax you the way the one the prior job did, and allows you this time to think. And it, you know, as long as you don't just you see this as a working sabbatical, you yeah, know, you're actually taking time to think through it. Hmm. You know, sometimes we just want recovery from a job, and we'll go find anything that seems safe, and then we haven't really been spending the time to rediscover our purpose. So that's that's number four. And then the last one is uh, really to own your own stuff. Uh, this is the one I sometimes struggle with. That's that's why I have to be intentional about who I talk to, is because I need them to be like, no, 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 I mean, that's all you, brother. Yeah, this is this is a hard one. I mean, in fact, all these are hard in different ways, yeah. but this one's hard because you've got to claim full responsibility for your yeah. future, and you got to remember that you were responsible for some element of what happened in the past. Right, and that's that's really tough to do. And, and even you really if want it, to blame everybody else, yeah. You know? Well, even if the responsibility is I should have exited earlier, you know, to right. save myself in a healthy way, I should have set up better boundaries for myself. Mm. Yeah, uh, but in any case, it isn't to say. It's there to blame you or to create shame. It's mm-hmm. there to say, what can I learn from that? Exactly. So when I see these signs coming in the future, they won't be so hard for me to recover in the past. And you can get out of it a little bit faster. And you can get out a little bit easier. Right. Yeah. I love that. I love that. That's it's kind of called maturity, I think, in my world. Well, <laughs> it's maturity in every world, and it's something that all of us can use a lot more of, I'll tell you that. <laughs> Absolutely. So... You know, one of my favorite things of this whole show is when you actually challenge me. So why don't we go into that? (laughs) All right. What is our challenge me segment for today, sir? Well, it's really related to this. And it's this question, what is your dashboard light? Do you know what your dashboard light is? I don't even know what a dashboard light is. (laughs) (laughs) The the dashboard light is that thing that those idiot lights on your car that light up when something goes wrong. You know, it says you're almost out of gas. 
or uh, you, your 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 engine is overheating, or the check engine light goes on. Right. And um, and really, this is just a question to ask yourself: What would be the dashboard lights of a situation that might be toxic for me? Hmm. You know, I mentioned the one earlier when I was with my two business partners, and I and I and I cursed at one of them. You know, and I, it wasn't well. Okay, <laughs> it wasn't. It wasn't uh, casual. It right. was it was very directed and very heated. Wow. And I realized that was a big check engine light. There is something wrong yeah. uh, when that happens. And so uh, I know my wife has told me, you know, when you are under a lot of stress and when things aren't going well and if there's something toxic going on, the first thing that happens to you is you, you lose your sense of humor. Huh. You know, I become um, less... Um, I, I laugh less. Maybe my maybe uh, I don't tell as many good jokes, but I laugh less. And there's and when there's less laughter, that for me is the the, the idiot lights going on. There's something wrong in my life. And the question really is, uh, can you do you know what that would look like for you? And sometimes it's hard to tell. Huh. And you might need your you know, spouse or some close friends to be able to say, you know, I've seen you in stress situations. I've seen you when you've been toxic, and this is your behavior. You switch into this kind of behavior, and yeah. So if they can help you with that, knowing what your dashboard light is, uh, you'll be a lot further down the road when you get yourself into a toxic situation and say, oh, uh, my dashboard light just went on. There's something amiss here. I have to figure out what it is and take steps toward it. It would be weird hanging around you if you weren't doing your constant state of jokes and humor and poking fun at things. I don't even know what I'd do. I might get bored. Yeah, I don't know. We'd probably go clean up some uh, murder scenes somewhere together, I'm thinking. I hope not. Let's avoid that one. I'm not good with blood. No, I'm not either. Well, so I know we got uh, a couple of announcements because uh, I know the Dream Intensive Workshop is coming up. And, yes. You know, I love that because I, I barely got a taste of it. Like I mean, I already said that when we had the breakfast, but... What, what what days are those coming up again? Well, we're doing two dream intensive workshops in many one in Minneapolis, one in Denver. The Minneapolis one is coming up in just a few weeks, February twenty first and twenty second, and the Denver one is March fourteenth and fifteenth. It's Friday night and all day Saturday. Okay. Now I love these dream intensive workshops because it's a small, intimate group of like minded believers who want to discover what God's next step is for them mm-hmm. in their life, and yeah. and they want to take the dream in whatever form they have. They may know what it is, and they're not able to act on it for some reason, mm-hmm. or they may not quite have a clue what it is, but they know they're ready for a change. Yeah. And so what we do is this Friday night and Saturday is we sit together and and just like you have to detoxify in a community, I believe you have to to express a dream and build a dream out in community. And so right. that's what we do. It, I set the table for a conversation among friends, new yeah. friends in many ways, that's to right. say, how do we embrace this new dream that God might be calling our lives? And the outcome of it is very exciting. It's 90-day plan, very specific. You'd like this. Yep. Very specific action steps. Here's what you can do <laughs> over the next 90 days that's exploratory that gets you closer to uh, discovering your dream. So yeah, any of you are interested in either coming to Minneapolis or Denver, I uh, would love to, love to see you, love to meet you there. And uh, dreamintensive.com is the website there. Yeah. And I, and I love the fact that it allows me to be around other people that let me know, Hey, I'm not the only one going through something very similar. Exactly. I love yeah. that. That was one of my favorite things from that. It was yeah. just seeing so many other people going through the exact same thing, different situation, 
but same outcome. Well, we have so few opportunities for people to gather and have meaningful conversations in that way. So I really, it's something I really look forward to it. Yeah. Well, we're out of time for this uh, episode and we'll just uh, thank you for joining us. Our next episode is going to be all about mindset. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, Armin and I are looking forward to talking to you about that. Uh, it, we'll be talking about Carol Dweck's book, Mindset, and she's written a lot about whether we have a fixed or a growth mindset, and uh, it is so critical to think through that question. You know, I mean, this is one book that it, when I was younger, if I were younger, if I were your age, I would love to have sent that book back to myself. Wow, it's that good, huh? Uh, it is the one of the books I would love to send back to my prior self. Unfortunately, it wasn't written back then. It was written only in 20, 2006, but it's just uh, it's just great. And we're going to talk about why that why I think that's so important, and I think you've got some ideas on this as well, but um, we can't wait to share that with you next week. want to invite you to leave a comment on reinventure.me uh, or a question. Join our Facebook page. Uh, we have some iTunes reviewers that we want to give a shout-out to. Yes, huge shout-outs. We want to give shout-outs to Tracy, Daniel, Daryl, Trey, Amy, Lynn, Steve, and a bunch of other people who left reviews for us. They're awesome. They're great feedback. It helped us kind of even uh, restructure a little bit. And you guys just were extremely encouraging and helped us quite a bit. So thank you guys for your feedback. Thank you for the encouragement. Thank you for reviewing us. We sincerely appreciate it. And join us on our discussion on Facebook at facebook.com slash reinventureme. We'd love to have the dialogue. And we'll see you next time. Never stop becoming what you should be. You've been listening to the Reinventure Me podcast with your hosts, Larry Gates and Amina Sadi.